there. Pray for TFF and our time in the Word today. Of it is she sees this garbage pile, this rubbish pile, 
and the Holy Spirit told her, and she's telling us as if she was, my goodness, the Holy Spirit said to go to this garbage pile, I'm, I'm, and this is this morning, I'm, I look at, there's a suitcase, and he said, open it. There's six pairs of men's pants, shirts, and package of underwear in there that is his size. The suitcase looks brand new. The people on the porch that it's in the garbage are looking at her because she's digging through the garbage. She sits there and she looks at him. She just closes the suitcase and puts it on her head and starts to walk away and turns around. And this gentleman shared how, how horrible life has been for him, but he's, he, he knows God. Um, and so she's ministering more to him. She walks down the road, turns around, and goes back to the people and has to tell them the story because of what God has just done. Mm. And so this morning, he, as we were praying, he ends up with six pairs of brand new pants, shirts, underwear, a suitcase, and a hat. So he will get his head shaved. His hat will keep his head warm until his hair grows in a little more. And just amazing. He has no idea she has these clothes yet. But just on this two-hour learning, you know, just asking God, it, it shows us that, you know, she usually takes the bus, but because no money, she had to walk. Yes. And then she sees the garbage pile, sees the suitcase, the Holy Spirit prompts her to go get the suitcase and open it, and yeah. everything is in this suitcase. And, I, and she's like, please share this with Rob and, and, and Gilda. She knows Rob and Gilda. And, and, and let them know, you know, what God is doing, Amen. what God is doing in the, you know, in the miraculous. And the, the women on the line and the men on the line were just elated to where she went back to talk to the family because they're looking for a place for him to maybe go live in an in a upright with dignity position. But he never misses work. He pulls in the nets on the boat. He knows how to do it because he's done it since he was a kid. He, again, doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his last name. He doesn't know. They don't even know if he's ever been to school. Just wanted to give you that praise Amen. report of what Amen. God has done just this very day Amen. with a suitcase, six pairs of pants, six shirts, and underwear. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise Him for the cosmos and the picture that it paints of an artist so brilliant he can scarcely be defined. Praise Him. For the first time that you pause to notice the open sky and wonder. What kind of imagination could inspire such beautiful things from scratch? Praise him for the scratch. For dust held in the hands of a master craftsman, unashamed to share his likeness with those he knew would break his heart and test his patience and try his love. Praise him for the borrowed breath that you breathe and faculties that function so as to remind you that you are not your own. For a love that finds its way to you in every season, letting you know that you are not alone. Praise him. For the miracles that your eyes have seen, that you were too hard-hearted to believe, too nearsighted to perceive, and too self-sufficient to receive, and still somehow he met all of your needs. Praise him. For broken hearts and bruised knees, for mountains brought low and valleys raised, for joy given in the deep of night. Praise him for the night. And weeping that always expires and lasts only as long as he allows. Come on, praise him for all that he allows, all that he permits, all that he prevents, and all that he provides for blessings often overlooked because they're disguised. And praise him for Jesus who brought of the sun and the tyranny of an unrelenting dark night and before you were even awake to the world you gloried in his light warmed by the generosity of his love carried from death to life on the wings of faith remember your name utter in a prayer 
and your heart awakened to its need for a savior, praise him for the savior who showed up at just the right time to show humanity that God would never turn his back on the world that he made. Praise him for the way that he came. Matchless power contained in the frame of a child born in a city as obscure as they come. The giver of life filling up his very own lungs to show that he is not ashamed of us. He is well acquainted with us. He is committed no matter what the cost to saving us. Praise him for saving us and the cross that provided the means. It's the door through which we enter. The shame under which we rest. His righteousness and not our own. His grace and His grace alone calling us out and bringing us in, conquering death and absolving our sin. Let me say it again. Praise Him for the season that you're in because it bears the mark of His hold on you. And when life gets a hold of you, tempting you to forget, lift your eyes, lift your hands, lift your hearts, and praise Him. Lift your eyes, lift your hands, lift your hearts, and praise Him. Lift your eyes, we lift our hands, we lift our hearts and praise you. We lift our eyes, we lift our hands, we lift our hearts.
Father, I do pray, Lord Jesus, that that would be our heart's cry, God. Father, that you would lead us to a place of complete surrender. Father, it's your loving kindness that draws us to repentance. It is your desire, God, that none shall perish, Lord Jesus. God, you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. As your people, Father, we are only foreigners passing through this temporal world. This world is not our home. So awaken us, Lord. Give us fresh sight and understanding and wisdom and discernment. God, that we would not live lives that would grieve the Holy Spirit, but God, that we would live lives as those who have been called out of darkness and brought into your marvelous light. That we would be your people doing your will for your glory. So thank you, Father. Minister to us today, Holy Spirit, I pray. Illuminate the dark areas of our hearts and the areas in which we so easily rebel and bring us, God, to a place of humility that we would be living a complete surrendered life under your Lordship, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Application. To apply, or application, sustained effort, hard work. It's from the root word, apply. So to apply is to give one's full attention to a task, to work hard. This year, this is what's going to be kept in front of us. I want to be able to encourage you all so that you can encourage each other so that we may continue to grow and mature individually and collectively as Christians, as people of God. We understand as we read the Word of God that from Genesis to Revelation, that God's plan and God's purpose is to have a people that He will call His own. And in return, they will call him their God. And if you've never walked through Scripture and seen that, and you want to sit down with me and walk through it, I studied it years ago. It's a study from Genesis to Revelation that brings an awareness of God's plan and God's purpose. He will be their God, and they will be his people. So to apply... The degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the Word applies is not enough. We must apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's Word to come to life in our lives. The application of Scripture enforces and further enlightens our study, and it also serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. Between good and evil. 
We are living in a day. And these are some of the notes that, from my own personal journal that I wanted to share with you all. We are living in a day when there are those in the church who are part of the deconstruction movement. They say they are deconstructing their faith because what they have come to believe is irrelevant and surely the Bible isn't the whole counsel of God's word. They believe we need to become more inclusive and culturally sensitive, change the standards of the church, and strip God of his holiness and make him common. Those who have fallen prey to this movement are following teachers that come, teachings that come from demons. We aren't to be deconstructing our faith, but we are to grow in faith. And get rooted in Christ. It's all for Him and for His glory. All throughout history. And I want you to think about this, if you, even if you just know a little bit of the Bible. <laughs> all throughout history, it never bodes well for the people of God to look on the outside and seek to be like those who aren't part of God's family. We are never to conform to their standards. We are to conform to His plan. His purpose as we are being transformed from death to life. As I was sharing, I believe on Friday night, this week, the church took a major hit yet again. Well-known pastors, well-known ministry leaders, well-known Christian artists are standing on pulpits leading the masses astray, deconstructing the faith. What once they preached for years, the Word of God, now they're saying it's not really relevant. There's a lot of stuff going on in the church. Forget what's going on in the world. But in the church... This is what people are finding. Confusion. They look in towards Christians or people who are leading the church and they're being led astray. And as I shared on Friday, it's not so much listening to the foolishness from the pulpit, it's watching the people in the pews or in the church clapping at it, agreeing with it. Afraid to get up and to walk out. Calling it what it is. It's demonic. We want to not deconstruct the faith. No, we want to grow in faith. We want to know our God. We want to live for our God. We want to live by His standards, not by our desires. You'll never find that anywhere in the Bible. And as I said earlier, it doesn't bode well for people to look on the outside and try to take on the characteristics of those who aren't saved. We see it from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. We see that Israel, when they were set apart for God, they were told, don't worship any other gods. But they kept looking at all the other nations. And so they began to conform to the way that they worshiped. Unless we forget in Psalms when God says, not only to that generation, but the this, this generation, the generation that's coming, 
You think my silence was my approval. And he says, I am coming for you. And I'm going to tear you apart with my own hands. That's God, you all. And how we think we can keep making him common, keep just living how we want to live and making it about our timing and our purposes and everything else. And, and yet we're, we're, we're foolish to think that the God in which we're serving is actually God when in reality it's a lesser God. It's a lesser God. We become so religious and we make it so much about works as to exalt ourselves. Look how good I am. Or I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be a good Christian. And I've shared with you all throughout the years, that's the problem. If you're trying, you don't know the first means of what it means to be a Christian. Only Christ in you, only the Holy Spirit whom you've been given, if you're truly born again of the Spirit of God, equips you. He's the one that gives you the desire. He's the one that gives you the power to live out what He's called you to. It's His nature. It's no longer our nature. It's His nature. When we see and recognize that we are sinful men and women, that we are in rebellion, that we are an enemy to the throne of God, it's because God is pleased to reveal that to us and it humbles us. And in that revelation, He reveals Christ. That He loves us, yet though we were in that nature, but He loves us enough to set us free from it. That's the power of, of the gospel. That's the hope that is in Jesus. That we're not to live the same. That we just don't throw on Jesus' name on us. No, you are to live as Jesus. You're not Jesus. But you are being conformed to His image. And you don't think that is a struggle within you? That's why Galatians tells us the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But mean, be mindful of what you're feeding. You keep living out of that fleshly nature and you're making a mockery of God. I don't care how many times you said a prayer. Because you haven't really grasped the understanding that you're an enemy to God. See, there's only two positions. You're either an enemy of God or you're a child of God. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. God is very clear. You're either still in complete rebellion towards Him, or you've submitted to Him, to His Lordship. And so in this position as being submitted to His Lordship, as receiving Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, when you sin, it doesn't keep defining your life of repentance because you understand that is not who I am any longer 
And you begin to have this sorrow. You begin to have this, ugh. God, I'm sorry. And he's quick to forgive. He's quick to restore. But when you're living in rebellion, oh, you can have your religion. You can have your works. You can go to church. You can go to pray. You can give in the tithe. But it means nothing. It means nothing because you're still in rebellion. You're just holding a form of religion. And I can't stress that enough. Those are the only people that the Bible tells us to have nothing to do with. This tells us not to have anything to do with people who are lost. And yet those are the people we run from. That's not how it's supposed to work. Jesus didn't run from the lost. He went to the lost. But we're to stay away from those who hold a form of religion but deny the power of God to transform their lives. Transform their lives. Because they make a mockery of Christ and the cross. You know exactly where you're at. <laughs> Either you're an enemy of God or you're a child of God. Again, there's no way around it. You're either still of this nature that is in complete rebellion towards Him. You see, that nature doesn't mind religion. That nature wants a God. It just doesn't want the true God. The carnal man, the fleshly man, loves their God with a little g. But they don't love God. And if you think about your week, I've always challenged people you want to know where you're at? Keep a journal. For a week. Write down your actions, your thoughts, what you're going through, what you did, what you're giving yourself over to. And at the end of the week, look at it and be honest with an honest assessment. And where's God in it? Well, I said a little prayer here. I did this, I did that. No, no. Where? Is God, where is your hunger? Where is your thirsting for righteousness in your life? To know your God and to be known by Him. To relinquish everything else and say, God, I'm yours. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't even know the first step to take, but God, one thing I know, you were pleased to reveal yourself to me through your son, Jesus. And God, I just want to serve you. I don't want to be marked by rebellion, continual rebellion towards you. No, God, I want to be marked as one who obeys you, who knows you, who walks with you. Whom you talk to. This is our God, you all. So let everyone else out there deconstruct their faith, but my God, there has to be Christians who want to grow in their faith. Who want to allow the roots to grow down deep and their cry, their hearts to the depths of their hearts cry is just give me Jesus. Jesus. 
the author and the perfecter of our faith. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. That's where we're heading. I want you to see these scriptures and understand the times in which we're living so that you can understand the urgency of the hour and the word application. Remember, it's sustained work, sustained effort, hard work. The Christian life is not an easy life. And why we, why we paint it as such, I'll never understand. Well, I understand because it's deception. It lulls people to sleep. But Jesus himself says, they're going to hate you because they hated me. You're going to be removed from the church. They will cry for your execution because they did that to me. And so why we think that we can just make this a nice, easy road? That's the flesh. That's the deception of the enemy. The reality is Jesus told us. It's going to cost you something. You have to ask yourself. What does it cost you? If you're sitting here today or you're listening online or you're listening later on the podcast, ask yourself, what has it cost you? And if it hasn't cost you anything, then I need to, with all the love that I have for you, you're not a Christian. You hold a form of religion that you're content with, with the false evidence of salvation that is no salvation at all. The call of one who Christ calls out of darkness and into his marvelous light, it's going to cost you. And Jesus doesn't mince words. Consider the cost. It's going to cost you. Some, it'll cost you everything. Like you have to relinquish everything, your control, everything, your desires, your relationships. Like nothing is to be above him. Not your mama, not your daddy, not your grandkids, not your children, not your wife, your husband, your friends. Anything is to be above him. It is him and him alone. And if he wants to remove all of them from your life, are you ready? Have you laid them down? I mean, this is the reality. Your goals, your dreams, your wants. You're holding on to the temporalness of life. To see the glory of God and the power of God move in your generation to advance the kingdom of God. To prepare the earth for the return of Christ. Years ago, years and years and years ago, when the Lord brought me to my knees. Give me all of them. 
I said, Lord, what would I be without them? That's the point, Rob. You're finding your identity in all of them. Your identity now is in me. It's in me. You see, it's not easy. But it's going to cost you something. Because you got to ask yourself, when the Lord prompts you, what keeps you to say, no, I can't do that, Lord? What holds you back? Relationships. God, if you would just do this for me, and we put our suggestions out, (laughs) when God says, I would do it, if you would start moving. <laughs> so many times we're asking God and praying for God to move in, in a situation, in a circumstance, in someone's life. And we're pleading and we're crying out. But God is asking, why are you still where you're at? Maybe if they saw the growth in you, you would bear witness to what I can do in one's life. Maybe if you stop your gossiping and your murmuring and your complaining and your backbiting in front of everyone. Maybe then I could move in the situation. I think a lot of times what's hindering our prayers is this rebellion within us that continues to want to serve self and not God. But God is awakening a people and He has and He will continue to throughout every generation that is marked by His name, marked by His power, marked by His salvation, marked for His purpose to do His will for His glory. Are you marked of God? Sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. There is a way in which we are called to live. But to apply, it's going to cost you something. It is hard work. Because everything within you will not go towards God. You'll have every excuse why you don't develop an own personal devotional time. You'll have every excuse to miss this or that or this or that or the gathering together. you have every excuse to not... To not worship or to grow in your prayer life. You have every excuse, but the reality is it amounts to nothing. And you're left right where you begun. And that's not where we all define ourselves, you all. Because God is pleased to reveal Himself to us. God is pleased to reveal himself to us. It is God. And it's him alone who does this work in us. It is all through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And for that we give him glory. But we better wake up to the understanding of the hour and the day in which we are living. You cannot make it up any longer. It is right before us. Deception is running amok. Doctrines of demons are being taught openly now, which once were in the dark, they're now stepping out. 
deceiving many. Again, you have this realm, this word, this this realm in which you cannot see. You have an enemy and his demons set every which way to distract you. You have the world system that's promoting its agenda and luring you. And then you have your own flesh and its evil desires. And you just want to play church. You just want to say you're a Christian, but not really live for God. You are going to be devoured. And you are going to spend eternity in hell. Not because God is a bad God. No, you just remain an enemy towards him. This is the stakes. This is, this is the outcome of playing church. But the reality is you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. You understand the mission. You understand the, the cost. It costs you something. You're following Christ. You're living for Christ. You've received the Holy Spirit as you received Christ, the salvation which he offers. You, you've become adopted into the family of God. You begin to live. You begin to understand what it means to discern between good and evil. And as a child of God, you don't continue to go the way of the evil ones. <laughs> You're going to be considered odd. You're going to be considered one who is causing trouble. <laughs> but it's for his sake. Because that's how they considered him. Hear the scripture reading today and hopes to encourage us to apply to sustain effort to continue that. It's hard work. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Holy Spirit, who? The Holy Spirit tells us clearly. See, there's no confusion. There's no, well, maybe it says this or that. No. He clearly tells us that in the last times, some will turn away from true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. Drop down to verse 7 through 12. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideals and old wives' tale. Instead, so don't get caught up in their confusion. Don't waste your time trying to prove your right and your knowledge of God is right. Don't waste your time. Don't exert that energy. So instead, train yourself. Sustained work. Sustained effort. Hard work. Train yourself for what? To be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone, and everyone, he's talking to the church, 
and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard. Circle that, highlight that. I want to drive the point of applying God's word to your life. And continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly all believers. So teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example. Hear this last part. Be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live, in your love, your faith, and purity. Listen, did you hear Scripture? Do you understand how you're to be living now? You just don't remain in the old nature and just keep doing whatever you want and slapping Jesus. No, the time is now to live. If you're truly born again of the Spirit of God, listen to the Word of God. Apply it. Be transformed. That old nature may want to scream at you, but you remind it it has been crucified to His cross. Your insecurities, your lust, your desires, your needs for control, your filthy mouth, everything else, everything about you is dead. And you have no right to me any longer. Here's a way in which we are called to live. Go to verse 15 of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. So here's more to do. Remember, sustained effort, hard work. Give your complete attention. Don't be double-minded. Don't get distracted so easily. But give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your, listen to this word, progress. I have told you over the years, if your Christian walk is still what it was when you Say you gave your life to Christ. Something's wrong. Something is serious wrong. And why we've allowed that in the church is beyond me. If your Christian walk is the same as it was yesterday, something is wrong with your Christianity because you're to be growing daily. Releasing things having a deeper hunger and a, and, a, and, a, and a great thirst because you see the vileness of this world. And that's what I keep telling you. We can't do church the way we've done church because it really hasn't produced anything but apostates. No, we got to disciple people. we got to stop playing games. Someone wants to play a game. They want to. They want to pretend and let them go. Turn them over. Have at it. Do whatever you want. Listen to the scriptures. 
throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Oh my God. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all. This is warfare. This is day-to-day combat. You are behind enemy lines. And if you're not engaging with the understanding that the battle belongs to the Lord, but He calls us to gear up and to dress up for it, and to be able to stand. And after you've done all you know to do, then stand and then therefore see God move in a way that's beyond any way that you can ever comprehend. Because He's God. And you can trust Him that He is for you and not against you. And if you find yourself here today unsure of salvation, If you find yourself not having the hope of eternity with Christ, then would you repent and come to Christ? Receive what Christ has for you. Because just that knowledge in of itself, if you don't have the certainty, the know, then he's revealing that to you in order to get you to a place where you are confident in the fact that you belong to God. That's how much he loves you. So awaken your understanding to the depths of your being. You lack confidence in me, child. Step out of darkness and come to me. Repent. Turn from your evil ways and come to me. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. More scripture I'm going to share with you in hopes to encourage you to persevere. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For once you, you, were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So what do you do with it? Live... As people of light. Live as people of light. Stop being yoked to your past, to your pain. Stop being a victim to all of your predators. You're no longer a victim. You have to tell that old person... That young kid, I remember years ago, and in my process of being healed, having to tell the young Robbie, no more. You're safe. You're whole. You're complete. It doesn't mark you anymore. You've been crucified to my Savior's cross. You have no more room in my heart or in my life to remind me of what was done to me. I mean, it's a way in which you're called to live. 
Stop giving yourself the right to dredge up the dead. No, live you all. Do not find yourself content with just having a form of religion and not understanding the true power of God in your life. No, you've been called out. You've been marked by Him. And you are to be living as such. Go to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter one, verse seven. But if we are living in the light, and I'm sorry, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we're living in the light, as God is in the light. This is the foundation of our fellowship with each other. As we have fellowship with God through Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out as such. This is what he's accomplished for us. And then I love that, don't miss out on that last sentence, cleanses us from what? All sin. Stop expecting everyone to just nod their head at you when you act a fool. Because you want your sin to be pronounced to everyone. Well, I'm trying to get through it. That's just what I always do. That's just who I am. Or you know how easy it is for me to get there. Who? Why? Why do we have to acknowledge that about each other? Instead of saying, no, that's sin. That's sin. Nothing good comes from it. That's an old way of living. Those are old habits. If you're calling yourself a Christian, be a Christian. So if you're, not, if you're lacking in repentance, if, something, if, if you're if allowing yourself just to continue, something is wrong. You have to engage now with this. I remember when back in the days when Norma called me, when she was going through her season... Are you really free? <laughs> Let that question just weigh there for yourself. Because people are wondering. But if all she saw was a man that kept going back and feasting off of his past and his life and this and that, I'm up today with Jesus, but I'm down in bed with men the next. <laughs> and there is no hope to offer her. Where would we both be today? He who the sun sets free is free indeed. <laughs> Are you free? Doesn't mean that you won't sin, but what, when you do, sin is not your master. You don't stay down and you don't keep giving room to keep sinning. 
You see the weight of it. You feel the weight of it. You understand the condition of your heart. But ultimately you understand the power of His love and redemption that He draws us in to liberate us so that we can live for Him. To live as such. To live in a way that you're not bound by shame and guilt. I've been stressing this. I don't know who needs it. (laughs) But to truly understand what it means to walk upright. Now, if you're still sinning, if you still have hidden sin in your heart and you're just playing church, well then no, stay down with it. Let it burden you until it crushes you. That you call out to Jesus and be saved. But if you're a child of God, now therefore there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a way in which you walk around liberated. You're freed. You're to walk upright amongst the weak and the perverse generation. You don't have to be scared of it. You go out into it. And you live as such. And you raise up the standard, not in your own strength, but as the Spirit of God leads you and moves you as you are among the religious and the lost. Which they're both the same. (laughs) They're going to end up in hell. But it's God's will and God's desire that none of them shall perish. And so He sends us in to be the light. Darkness cannot extinguish the light. I don't know how you're encouraging yourself daily. And what you have been called to and the new identity in which you are to be walking in. But we are to have fellowship with each other because we have fellowship with Christ. We're ultimately restored to God, our creator, in whom we were an enemy against. But now we're restored through the provision he made through his son Jesus. No greater love than this would ever be displayed throughout all creation. And the freedom of which you can have to say, I'm not spending another day on that mat. The question of the hour that I've been asking a lot of people, do you want to be healed? You see, there's a lot of other sick people around that pond, pool. But Jesus only went to one. Do you want to be healed? He had all these excuses. That's not what Jesus asked for. Do you want to be healed? Yes, Lord. Then get up. Pick up your mat. That's the question in this hour. Because there's too many people that have been stuck in this cycle for years. And I see no way out. But I'm here to tell you Jesus is asking in this generation, in this hour, and in this time, do you want to be healed? Stop clinging to all your excuses. Stop being defined by all these temporalness 
and these temporal relationships. The question I asked you is, I didn't ask you for your excuses. I asked you, do you want to be healed? Then get up. Get up. Pick up your mat. This is the reality of our God. We are to be his people, marked by him. They ought to see something different in us. And if they're not, then something is wrong. Oh, I want to see my family saved. Oh, I want to do this. I want to see this. I want to see that. But, you, but, but God is not the primary one in your life. And they see that. It's like the study we did on Friday night. There was an example. You want to know if you're a pragmatist? You want to know if you're serving a lesser God? Family comes in town. The, fa- the kids and the grandkids come. Parents go to church. They love Jesus. But they know that their kids don't want to go to church. And they don't get to spend that much time with their grandkids. And so Sunday morning comes. And instead of getting up and saying, listen, we'll see you all after church. Because we understand, you know, God, we want to be among the family of Christ. We want to be in the presence of God with the family of God. We'd love for you to come, but we understand if you don't want to. But we're going. Because God is first. God is first, not my schedule, not my family, not anyone else. But they don't go to church. And yet the very ones they're praying for see that their decision is God's not first. God's not first. I said, Jesus, wake us up. We want people. Oh, they would just come to Jesus. But they don't see Jesus in you. They don't see that God is first. They don't see a hunger and a thirst for God in your life. And yet you want them to know God. Well, how are they ever going to know God when you're in the way? This is the reality. You're a stumbling block for them. Because God's not first. God's not first in any area of your life. This is the ugly truth, and we as the church have to awaken to the understanding that we're being bombarded to live a life that makes a mockery of God. But where are the people of God that say, I am hungry for God? I'm not going to put anything above God. I'm not going to just allow anything in hopes that they come to salvation. No, live, at, live it out in front of them. It's sad, some of the non-believers have more freedom in their emotional lives and in their mental capacity than so-called Christians. And I just want to talk to you about Jesus. But you're miserable. You backbite, you gossip. You got no standards in your life. You're up today and you're down tomorrow. 
if they could just start seeing people live for Jesus, sustained effort, hard work, empowered by the Holy Spirit, liberated because of Christ. I am restored to God, my Creator. I walk with Him. He talks with me. Oh, we have to wake up and ask ourselves, really, what are we doing? When you hear these words, when you hear Scripture, oh, just give us something that makes us feel good about ourselves. This ought to make you feel good. To die to self. Because <laughs> that's all you got. You get a message of death. Die to self. Die to self. Die to self. And ultimately, live for Christ. You won't know the fullness of living until you experience death. The fullness of living, living by experiencing death. You got to bury that old person, you all. <laughs> and everything that he or she identifies with. And get up and walk. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, here's what you do. Let us strip off every weight that, show, that slows us down. And whatever that may be, habits, relationships, whatever. Whatever is slowing you down from growing in Christ, get it out of your life. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And then look. And let us run with endurance. The race God has set before us. I mean, do you get excited when you hear that? To begin to, to deal with that which is slowing you down. To deal with that ongoing sin in your life. And here's the key. How do I get out of this vicious cycle? Throw it off. Oh, it can't be that easy. Oh, i got to have these 20 steps. <laughs> no, it is that easy. Throw it off. Throw it off. Stop feeding it. Stop looking at it. Stop, allow stop allowing yourself to be reminded of it. Nothing ever good came from it. Well, it felt good for that season. Well, maybe it did, but look where it left you. And so there is a way in which we are called to live, you all. Let's look at some scriptures that summarize what God has done so that a sinner could become a Christian. Go to John chapter 10. And this is the last week for these types of scriptures. John 10, verse 28. But oh, how I pray you've taken the time to 
to study these and get encouraged to see exactly what God has done to save sinners. John 10, verse 28. I, who, God. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. I mean, listen to that. Listen to the words. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Do you understand? You're heading for a place for all eternity. Either with God or apart from God. And even in that apart from God, you will still have the knowledge of the one in whom you were an enemy of. For all eternity. Forever. And forever. And forever. Jesus, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And he looks and listens to this hope and no one can snatch them away from me. Oh, the hope that you can have in Christ. Go to John 14, verse 21 and verse 23. John 14, verse 21. Those, these Jesus speaking, those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Listen, we're talking about God, you all. We're talking about the Creator. The one who spoke and everything formed. The one who's purposed. And plan is to have you with Him for all eternity. And yet we've heard lies about Him that have kept us and, and, and fueled the hatred towards Him. Well, I never really hated God. Yes, you did. Well, no, I've always been a good person. I followed. Don't you hear yourself? Like, until you see that you are an enemy of God, there is no hope of salvation for you. It always drives me batty when I hear people. Well, I'm not as bad, you know. Well, you know, I, I kept. Well, I do. Well, not, well, I didn't do what you did. Well, what does that mean? You're still the nature that I was of. We're all born in sin, in complete rebellion towards God, and all we've heard is lies about Him that has fueled our hatred. But God, but God sent forth His Son to deliver us. We're without excuse. So those who accept my commands and, and obey, they are the ones who love me. Do you love Jesus? Then are you obeying him? 
If your life is not marked by obedience, you're lacking in love. And I would encourage you to get before God and allow Him to work in your heart to bring you, because it's His love that draws you to repentance. If you're lacking in obedience, and yet you, you, you have a concept in your heart, in your mind, that somehow you're in Christ, understand you're religious-minded. And it means nothing in the end. Like, do you truly obey? Well, how would I know if I'm truly obeying? Is your life transformed? You're not, and, and that's true transformation, not a false sense of transformation where you where you blurt out and you, and you try to put puff yourself up and you walk with God in front of everyone. But you know good and well when you close your door or you're in your car by yourself or you're out in and out with people who aren't saved. There's no mark of Christianity upon your life. <laughs> so don't fool yourself. The enemy loves nothing more than to peddle out a false salvation. Poof, you're saved. Poof, you're saved. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, poof, poof. Everyone's a Christian. Everyone gets salvation. Everyone gets salvation. Everyone gets salvation. <laughs> and you don't see that in the Word of God. Jesus knows your heart. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Go to John 14. Oh, oh I just read that. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 18. <clears throat> Again, these scriptures are scriptures and hopes to encourage you to have an understanding of what God has done for a sinner in order for him or her to be saved. First, Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us, oh God, perk up more and more like Him as we are changed and to his, what, glorious image. God does this in us. God does this in us. Oh, that we would grasp this understanding and allow it to be our truth as we're getting up each day and going through our day. Whom do you belong to? Who has full right to your heart of hearts? Who are you surrendering to throughout the day? Oh, how I pray it's Jesus. Go to Ephesians. The last one, Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. 
And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God, listen to this, saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you, listen to the the beauty of Scripture, as his own, by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guidance, or God's guarantee, that he will give us the inheritance he promised, and that he has purchased us to be, listen to this, his own people. He did this so we could praise and glorify him. Who did this? God. (laughs) Because he's good. Remember, there's no error in God. He's great. He's full of love. He's also full of wrath. And so why would we choose his wrath? Over his love. Oh, that the veil would be removed so that we can see the reality of what it means to truly live as the created. We're not the creator. And we ought not to worship the created. No, we ought to be worshiping the creator. Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 42. Another tool that I've been keeping in front of us in hopes that we would grow in our faith so that we are able to defend the faith. Lord's Day 42, here's the question. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? Here's your answer. God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes all scheming, and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gift. Next question, what does God require you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good. That I treat others as I would like them to treat me. And that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. Oh, I would encourage you to go back, study these two questions. The answers, all the scriptures are there for you. Let's go to Chronicles. Oh, I sure did. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My eyes skipped the definition this week. There is a term I wanted to put out in front of us. Thank you, Carrie. This week's term. Oh, we ought to get excited. (laughs) Regeneration. Here's the definition of this. Regeneration is the work of God's Spirit in which He changes. Who changes? He, the Holy Spirit, changes the spiritual condition of a person, bringing him from death to life. Regeneration is the beginning of all the moral changes in the believer. It results in a life of ongoing change, sanctification, and ends in the complete transformation of the believer into the image of Christ. 
glorification. Another term for regeneration is being born again. To be born again. Regeneration, you all. Oh, that you would be encouraged to learn these terms, to study them, to write out your vocabulary word and write out its definition. So that you're learning, you're applying, you're gaining understanding. I mean, it is, I'm telling you, when you allow the Word of God to become active in your life as you're applying it, it's the living Word. Let me tell you, your eyes just keep getting open. Like you begin to see and things just begin to kind of fall in place. Like, I've been missing out all this time. And for what? And for what? Oh, but God, thank you. Thank you for your great love towards me. That you saw fit to humble me and to reveal yourself to me when I didn't deserve it. None of us deserves it. That's what's so great about it. This is the good news that we have to share with others. Chronicles, First Chronicles. Here's our reminder. Before I have the scriptures played over us. So again, the reminder about the practical application. Genealogies such as the ones in First Chronicles may seem dry to us, but they remind us that God knows each of his children personally even down to the number of hairs on our heads. We can take comfort in the fact that we, I'm sorry, that who we are and what we do is written forever in God's mind. If we belong to Christ, our names are written forever in the Lamb's book of life. God is faithful to his people and keeps his promises. In the book of 1 Chronicles, we see the fulfillment of God's promise to David when he is made king over all of Israel. We can be sure that his promises to us will be fulfilled as well. He has promised blessings to those who follow him, who come to Christ in repentance and who obey his word. Obedience brings blessings. Disobedience brings judgment. The book of 1 Chronicles, as well as 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, is a chronicle of the pattern of sin, repentance, forgiveness, and restoration of the nation of Israel. In the same way, God is patient with us and forgives our sin when we come to him in true repentance. We can take comfort in the fact that he hears our prayer of sorrow, forgives our sin, restores us to fellowship with him, and sets us on the path to joy. We're looking today, or we're going to hear today, 1 Chronicles chapter 5 through chapter 6. Follow along in your Bible if you haven't. If not, listen carefully. Chapter 5, Descendants of Reuben. The oldest son of Israel was Reuben. But since he dishonored his father by sleeping with one of his father's concubines, his birthright was given to the sons of his brother Joseph. For this reason, Reuben is not listed in the genealogical records as the firstborn son. The descendants of Judah became the most powerful tribe and provided a ruler for the nation. But the birthright belonged to Joseph. The sons of Reuben, the oldest son of Israel, were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. 
The descendants of Joel were Shemaiah, Gog, Shimei, Micah, Reaiah, Baal, and Beerah. Beerah was the leader of the Reubenites when they were taken into captivity by King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. Beerah's relatives are listed in their genealogical records by their clans. Jeiel, the leader, Zechariah, and Bela, son of Azaz, son of Shema, son of Joel. The Reubenites lived in the area that stretches from Aror to Nebo and baal Meon. And since they had so many livestock in the land of Gilead, they spread east toward the edge of the desert that stretches to the Euphrates River. During the reign of Saul, the Reubenites defeated the Hagrites in battle. Then they moved into the Hagrite settlements all along the eastern edge of Gilead. Descendants of Gad Next to the Reubenites, the descendants of Gad lived in the land of Bashan as far east as Selica. Joel was the leader in the land of Bashan, and Shapham was second in command by Jani and Shaphat. Their relatives, the leaders of seven other clans, were Michael, Meshulam, Sheba, Jorai, Jachin, Ziah, and Eber. These were all descendants of Abihail, son of Hurai, son of Jeroah, son of Gilead, son of Michael, son of Jeshishai, son of Jado, son of Buzz. Ahai, son of Abdiel, son of Gudai, was the leader of their clans. The Gadites lived in the land of Gilead in Bashan and its villages, and throughout all the pasture lands of Sharon. All of these were listed in the genealogical records during the days of King Jotham of Judah and King Jeroboam of Israel. The tribes east of the Jordan. There were 44,760 capable warriors in the armies of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They were all skilled in combat and armed with shields, swords, and bows. They waged war against the Hagrites, the Jedarites, the Naphishites, and the Notabites. They cried out to God during the battle, and he answered their prayer because they trusted in him. Amen. So the Hagrites and all their allies were defeated. The plunder taken from the Hagrite looted 50,000 camels, 250,000 sheep and goats, 2,000 donkeys, and 100,000 captives. Many of the Hagrites were killed in the battle because God was fighting against them. The people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh lived in their land until they were taken into exile. The half-tribe of Manasseh was very large and spread through the land from Bashan to Baal Hermon, Senor, and Mount Hermon. These were the leaders of their clans, Ephor, Ishai, Eliel, Azrael, Jeremiah, Hodaviah, and Judeal. These men had a great reputation as mighty warriors and leaders of their clans. But these tribes were unfaithful to the God of their ancestors. They worshipped the gods of the nations that God had destroyed. So the God of Israel caused King Pul of Assyria, also known as Tiglath-Pileser, to invade the land and take away the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh as captives. The Assyrians exiled them to Hela, Habor, Hera, and the Gozan River, where they remain to this day. Chapter 6. The Priestly Line. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The descendants of Kohath included Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The children of Amram were Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Eleazar was the father of Phinehas. Phinehas was the father of Abishua. Abishua was the father of Bukai. Bukai was the father of Uzai, 
Uzai was the father of Zeraiah. Zeraiah was the father of Meraoth. Meraoth was the father of Amariah. Amariah was the father of Ahitub. Ahitub was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Ahimeaz. Ahimeaz was the father of Azariah. Azariah was the father of Johanan. Johanan was the father of Azariah, the high priest at the temple built by Solomon in Jerusalem. Azariah was the father of Amariah. Amariah was the father of Ahitub. Ahitub was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Shalom. Shalom was the father of Hilkiah. Hilkiah was the father of Azariah. Azariah was the father of Siraiah. Siraiah was the father of Jehozadak, who went into exile when the Lord sent the people of Judah and Jerusalem into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. The Levite clans. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The descendants of Gershon included Libni and Shimei. The descendants of Kohath included Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The descendants of Merari included Malai and Mushai. The following were the Levite clans listed according to their ancestral descent. The descendants of Gershon included Libni, Jahath, Zima, Joah, Ido, Zerah, and Jeathari. The descendants of Kohath included Aminadab, Korah, Asur, Elkanah, Abiasaph, Aser, Tehath, Uriel, Uzziah, and Shal. The descendants of Elkanah included Amasai, Ahimoth, Elkanah, Zophai, Nahath, Eliab, Jeroam, Elkanah, and Samuel. The sons of Samuel were Joel, the older, and Abijah, the second. The descendants of Merari included Malai, Libni, Shimei, Uzzah, Shimeah, Haggiah, and Asaiah. The Temple Musicians David assigned the following men to lead the music at the house of the Lord after the ark was placed there. They ministered with music at the tabernacle until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They carried out their work following all the regulations handed down to them. These are the men who served along with their sons. Heman, the musician, was from the clan of Kohath. His genealogy was traced back through Joel, Samuel, Elkanah, Jeroam, Eliel, Toah, Zaph, Elkanah, Mahath, Amasai, Elkanah, Joel, Azariah, Zephaniah, Tehath, Aser, Abiasaph, Korah, Izhar, Kohath, Levi, and Israel. Heman's first assistant was Asaph from the clan of Gershon. Asaph's genealogy was traced back through Barakiah, Shimei, Michael, Baasiah, Malchijah, Ethni, Zerah, Adaiah, Ethan, Zima, Shimei, Jahath, Gershon, and Levi. Heman's second assistant was Ethan from the clan of Merari. Ethan's genealogy was traced back through Kishai, Abdi, Moloch, Hashabiah, Amaziah, Hilkiah, Amzi, Bani, Shemer, Malai, Mushai, Merari, and Levi. Their fellow Levites were appointed to various other tasks in the tabernacle, the house of God. Mm. Aaron's descendants. Only Aaron and his descendants served as priests. They presented the offerings on the altar of burnt offering and the altar of incense, and they performed all the other duties related to the most holy place. They made atonement for Israel by doing everything that Moses, the servant of God, had commanded them. The descendants of Aaron were Eliezer, Phinehas, Abishua, Bukai, Uzai, Zerahiah, Meraiah, Amariah, Ahitub, Zadok, and Ahimeaz. Territory for the Levites. 
This is a record of the towns and territory assigned by means of sacred lots to the descendants of Aaron, who were from the clan of Kohath. This territory included Hebron and its surrounding pasture lands in Judah. But the fields and outlying areas belonging to the city were given to Caleb, son of Jephunneh. So the descendants of Aaron were given the following towns, each with its pasture lands. Hebron, a city of refuge, Libna, Jeter, Eshtimoah, Holon, Deber, Ain, Jutta, and Beth Shemesh. And from the territory of Benjamin, they were given Gibeon, Geba, Alameth, and Anathoth, each with its pasture lands. So thirteen towns were given to the descendants of Aaron. The remaining descendants of Kohath received ten towns from the territory of the half-tribe of Manasseh by means of sacred lots. The descendants of Gershon received by sacred lots thirteen towns from the territories of Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and from the Bashan area of Manasseh east of the Jordan. The descendants of Merari received by sacred lots twelve towns from the territories of Reuben, Gad, and Zebulun. So the people of Israel assigned all these towns and pasture lands to the Levites. The towns in the territories of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, mentioned above, were assigned to them by means of sacred lots. The descendants of Kohath were given the following towns from the territory of Ephraim, each with its pasture lands. Shechem, a city of refuge in the hill country of Ephraim. Gezer, Jachmiel, Beth Horon, Ajalon, and Gath Rimmon. The remaining descendants of Kohath were assigned the towns of Aner and Bileam, from the territory of the half-tribe of Manasseh, each with its pasture lands. The descendants of Gershon received the towns of Golan in Bashan, and Ashtaroth from the territory of the half-tribe of Manasseh, each with its pasture lands. From the territory of Issachar, they were given Kedesh, Dabareth, Ramoth, and Anam, each with its pasture lands. From the territory of Asher, they received Marshall, Abdon, Hukuk, and Rehob, each with its pasture lands. From the territory of Naphtali, they were given Kedush in Galilee, Haman and Kiriathaim, each with its pasture lands. The remaining descendants of Mirari received the towns of Jachnium, Karta, Rimmon, and Tabor from the territory of Zebulun, each with its pasture lands. From the territory of Reuben, east of the Jordan River, opposite Jericho, they received Bezer, a desert town, Jahaz, Kedemoth, and Mephaath, each with its pasture lands. And from the territory of Gad, they received Ramoth and Gilead, Maenaim, Heshbon, and Jazer, each with its pasture lands. And so let's not forget who this is written to. It's written to those who were led captives, but now are coming back to the promised land. These are God's people hearing their history Again, they're coming back to a place in which they cannot identify with. There is no temple, there is no palace. And yet they're being reminded of their rich history. And there's, don't miss out on the genealogy that we heard about the Levites today. So here's a commentary. A lengthy account of the tribe of Levi is placed significantly, there's a reason for it, at the center of the genealogies and provides the background for the arrangement of the temple personnel in the restored community following the exile in Babylon. The writer connects the Davidic monarchy with temple worship in his conception 
of a restored people. The attention given to Levi reveals the importance of the temple and priesthood. If the returning exiles were to see God's blessing, the, then both the royal family, Judah, and the temple personnel, Levi, had to carry out their proper functions. They couldn't just return and just do what they want. You do this, you do that. Do, no, no. God it has to be how God designed it, how God ordered it. And it's to be restored back that way. Oh, that's good news, you all. Go to Acts. Acts chapter 26. Paul's still <laughs> on trial. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are all were, are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I'm on trial because of my hope and the fulfillment of God's promises or God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? Hmm. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. I ca and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day, as I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests, about noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn, O oh God, perk up from darkness to light and from the power of Satan 
to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God. And prove, my God, they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone. From the least to the greatest, I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way, announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth, and King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly. For I am sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe <laughs> the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might, oh Jesus, might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed, this man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. But remember, Paul's purpose is to get to Rome. Look what he did there. He didn't try to persuade them to set them free by making excuses or renouncing Christ or doing anything like that. No, he understood the platform that he had been given by God to announce the gospel to all of those who were attending. Each day you were given a platform to announce the gospel, to share the good news with people. It may not be at this level, but trust me, each day you have an opportunity to share. And oh, how I pray that you are engaged in doing so. Especially if you're a Christian. Go to Psalm 6. Coming to an end. Psalm 6. King David penned this psalm. Again, we are encouraged in the book of Psalms to look up. Life may throw everything at you, but God's got you. Oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I'm sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you rescue me or restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me 
Listen to this. Because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? I am worn out from sobbing. All night I fled my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Go away, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. Oh, how great is our God, you all. Proverbs 18. Two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Oh, there is a way in which we ought to live. And it says unto Christ, you all. Let's worship him, and then I'll close us in prayer. Thank you, Father.